It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Privately owned teams, it's usually the people that own these teams. They can afford to write off a, a few hundred or a few million dollars loss at the end of the day. Whereas privately, the community owned team doesn't necessarily have that luxury. Commissioner has been out and about this week in the CFL. Lots of news to talk about. But before we do that, how was your week? It was a week that I would like to forget. Okay. that, that Now you piqued my interest. A bad day? <laughs> it's one of those... It's one of those days on Thursday that you don't want to hear. But I was outside. A phone rings. It's my wife. Says she's been in an accident. And uh, she's okay, thankfully. But scary. I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, what happened? Uh, she was coming north of, I think it's Bethune, and uh, I will call it a maniac suicidal deer decided to oh. jump out of the ditch and slam into her driver's side door. Shattered the glass, all side airbags deploy. She manages somehow to keep the vehicle under control and gets stopped, but... Uh, just no injuries oh yeah there are injuries that's part of the equation that we're dealing with right now she's okay she was pretty beaten up from that experience not only mentally but physically so just uh she's still sort of working through the bruising's all coming out it's been really rough no that's not fun at all Not, not good so yeah so the RCMP down there were fantastic. They let her stay in their offices, and she phoned, and I went down and picked her up and brought her home. Big shout-out. That's the Lums and RCMP? Yeah, betcha. And they were wonderful. Everybody involved were fantastic. Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad to hear she's okay, other than a few injuries. And, uh, yeah, that's never fun to deal with. Nope, especially when it's now, what, almost a week later and we're still pulling glass out of her? Yep. No, not good. Well, my, my week, I think, was a little bit better, Don. After years of uh, spending money to try to uh, do some improvement in my golf game, I actually hit a hole-in-one for the first time on my birthday. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it was quite a thrill. I was uh, <laughs> driving up thinking, where's my ball? Where's my ball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure enough, it's there. Now, if you don't know, we're on a sand green, so you can follow the path of the ball across the green, right? So I was looking off to the side. I hit a really nice shot and felt good and... Looking for the ball and ended up looking in the hole. It was awesome. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never thought I would, but hey, good news this week. I, I, makes me feel like I want to golf again. Let's say that. You get the opportunity, so it, it'll it be yep. fun for you. And now you've got that to hang on your uh, wall. You bet. That was fun. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Commissioner has been out and about. You know, he did the town hall. We spoke to that last week, but he also appeared this week on the Rod Peterson show. That was nice to see. I happened to stumble into it, actually. A little notice came up on my Facebook and said that Rod Peterson was going live. And the next thing you know, there's the commissioner right there. So I was very happy to see him and I thought he acquitted himself well again. Uh, Peterson asked a ton of questions uh, to do with uh, revenues in terms of loans from different sources. And the commissioner really opened up the possibility that they're not just depending on the federal government for a loan, that they are looking for other avenues. Mm -hmm. 
And that, to me, is a responsible way to do things. He didn't really elaborate as to whom or as to what other avenues they had been uh, discussing. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. The, the biggest problem, and he alluded to it, the league has six member teams that are privately owned and three that are publicly or community owned. And revenue streams for one and the other, certainly if you don't have them, they impact, mm-hmm. but they impact far differently for the community-based teams than they do for the private teams. And we'll get into more of that later in the show. It's interesting because as a season ticket holder with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this week, I got a, an email. And on my email, it was talking about what to do with your Grey Cup tickets. Of course, we, we've heard the Grey Cup's been moved back to 2022 in Regina. So with $50 down, you can move that over. And the second part it talked about, and I know you're a season ticket holder, would have got this too. It was uh, asking you what you wanted to do with, with your funds in the event of the, the CFL not necessarily moving on, right? So are, are we holding the funds? Are you moving them forward? Or the third option was, do you want to donate to the team? So I'm wondering, uh, you know, community-based team there is saying, you know, um, looking for donations from members potentially too. I've heard a bit about that. And I know when I talked to the Rough Riders, I told them, just hold the money. Just, we're not, we're not mm-hmm. taking it back. And that's what we're doing too. Yep. And that went for the Grey Cup and, and uh, regular season. Yep. We don't know what's going to happen this year. We kind of... I mean, I'm leaning towards there won't be a season because especially with the Americans, their case slow growing and growing every day. I just don't see a circumstance. But again, in the commissioner's commentary with Rod Peterson, he talked about learning from what other leagues do and specifically baseball, hockey, and the MLS. Lessons are to be learned. The question is, what are those lessons going to be? And no one really knows because the NHL just announced their hybrid playoff format yesterday and mm-hmm. Batman is looking at 24 teams, sort of a round robin for the top teams and eight or something like that. Remaining teams play off in a best of five, I think, or maybe a best of seven, which would be almost absurd. But anyway, uh, they're looking at host cities, and this is something the CFL has been trying to do as well. The restrictions in Canada clearly are much tougher in terms of that. Uh, interprovincial travel, uh, international travel, far more uh, managed than it is on the other side of the border. And so even the NHL itself is starting to say that the potential of playing in Canada, any of these games, is not too likely. Which is interesting because, I, I mean, I was hoping that if they were going to have any kinds of games in Canada that we could see what happens with the American and international players that are coming in, right? That is a, a spot where the CFL could learn if the NHL were to be holding games in Canada. If not, then the CFL is probably at the forefront of determining how that looks like. The thing that he mentioned in the interview was that it's not the CFL that's running this show right now. It's Health Canada. Yep. And they're taking their cues from Health Canada. And as with any other responsible business, they don't want to do anything that's going to risk or jeopardize any of the progress that's been made, nor risk or jeopardize anybody at the time if they do manage to pull together to get games in. There's mm-hmm. a real sort of, how would I describe it, ethic 
that, hey, people's lives matter. We're going to do our part, too. We're not going to take any unnecessary risks. And this is something that's been pushed over and over and over again by Health Canada. Clearly, the CFL is on board with that. And, and, and you do have to be. Absolutely. It makes sense. Um, you know, we trust our health professionals to make the judgments. And uh, unfortunately, in times like this, health professionals supersede sports. And, and I mean, not unfortunately. Uh, we, we do want that because it, it's everyone's safety involved. Precisely. And I think that Health Canada has done a fantastic job. And, I mean, there is isolation frustration about. Oh, for sure. I feel it. You feel it. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough to every day you've got to socially distance yourself or physically distance yourself, I should say, from others in your world. And it does start to wear on you after a while. But having said that, the alternative is far worse. The frustration is there. And I think you hear some people and, and I think somewhat fueled by social media, you know, we, we deserve, we, we should be able to. And, and yet at the same point, I think when you're looking at the collective good, um, Certainly following the rules and making sure that we're not bringing the COVID situation back into the crisis that we're seeing in the United States right now is a priority. And I think Canada has managed that relatively well. I think the leadership in Canada has been far more proactive. And the fact that government in Canada has been much more willing to listen to the guidance provided by Health Canada has changed most of Canada's numbers. There are obviously hot spots. And especially you and I have talked about this before, when you've got people sort of packed together, it becomes much more mm. difficult and it's a much more an acute situation to try to get physical distancing when you have so many people in a given few blocks. I guess I was interested with the NHL news that was coming out. That they're able to start resuming some practice. Some are coming back and some aren't. And I wondered if in the Canadian teams, are they going to move like in baseball and have a training camps in the States somewhere, access rinks down there, if they're going to be playing all games in the United States, or will they allow those players back into Canada to practice and get ready, get in shape for the playoff run? And I guess if they do that, maybe the CFL can learn something. Well, they can. The other thing that's been bantied about is that spring league that uh, has been talking to, I think it's Woods is the commissioner there. Mm-hmm has been talking to the CFL about perhaps maybe having Americans or maybe even CFL teams play against their teams just to get the practice in. And uh, the commissioner said in these times you have to be open to a lot of different ideas, but he really wasn't laying down any cards that would indicate that they were going to be amenable to this idea. And it's not that he's dismissing that league. It's just that there's a practicality and a Mm -hmm and at a timeline that probably doesn't suit the Canadian football schedule. And first and foremost, the commissioner has to look out for the, the, the CFL league itself and the member partners to that league. So I, you know, I don't see that being uh, a suitable uh, situation. If, if they're going to be playing in the States and, and you're still looking at hubs, maybe, maybe you could do that if Canadians are allowed across too. I, I think there's more freedom that way in, in terms of the border being open, but I mean, that may impact as well. And would the United States be amenable to Canadians playing in a league that has to have X number of Canadians in their area? That would be another question that I would ask right now because I, I don't see it happening. That has something to do with their uh, employment laws that I'm not that familiar. So mm-hmm. maybe. Well, we, we saw we saw years ago when, when we had United States teams in the CFL that uh, they had all 
American players. They weren't allowed to play with the Canadian players, that racial. Well, they could have had Canadian players, but they chose not to. The thing was that you couldn't have a quota of Canadian players on each team, and that was where it ran up against American law at that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't think that anything's really changed since. So I think the CFL in a spring league situation or just moving games to the United States for whatever reason to try to get them in, um, it just isn't going to happen. They've got to play north of the border, uh, no ands, ifs, or buts. And they've got to look at probably hub cities, the We've heard Vancouver offer up. We've heard Regina offer up. Uh, Winnipeg. I don't know if Hamilton has or not. I'm still waiting to hear on that. But we don't think that Toronto will, but there's a chance they could. It really comes down to what Mayor John Tory has to say. And he was a former uh, CFL commissioner. So you've got to think of the big picture, and that is human lives are at stake here maybe not the players lives but it could be a member of the coaching staff it could be a member of the administration it could be somebody at the game and any player or administration or you know cfl employee that works there their their extended family potentially moves to risk right we were seeing that in europe in the soccer leagues where we've had some covid spread through some of the players and uh, again you're going to learn from things like that second down Breaking news for us, although relative to you, maybe not so much. The Canadian Football League has granted permission for teams to open facilities to local players so that they can begin training. In alignment with the NHL, who just announced that that would happen as well across their league, um, they've done that. And so the memo went out to all nine teams and uh, they can return to doing some training in facilities. So. I think uh, two things, they're, they're permitted to reopen the facility and then the club um, has to reply to the return to train idea is what I'm reading. Yes, yeah, so that means that at least nominally starting this week, if you're open to it, and again, this is a voluntary thing, uh, you can go out and train. I imagine what the protocols will be will be similar as at one at a time, wipe down the equipment, all that sort of stuff. So it will open the idea up for the hope that 2020 is still in the offing. That's right. Well, let's hope September turns it around because it would be awfully weird to have a year where we're we're watching hockey in the middle of summer and there's no football. Well, you might be watching hockey. I don't know if I will. Well, not in the middle of summer. I can guarantee it. I say we in the sense of Canadians because, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to be watching either. I I lose track at about May. I'll be curious to see what the numbers are. Mm Mm-hmm. Normally cottage season, normally outdoor season. It could be interesting. I mean, that's part of the the charm of Canadian football, right? You get to go outdoors, watch a game. Yep. Hockey, not so much. Well, let's uh, let's get into trivia, Don. We'll see how you can embarrass me this week. See if I can come up with anything in terms of an answer. Uh, it's not to embarrass. If so, let's. Uh... <laughs> okay. Well, good. Uh, let's let's make that clear. <laughs> Uh, All right, just remember that modern era, even though it may not be specified, is implied, and that's post-1945. All right? Yeah. Here we go. Question one. In its Grey Cup appearances, Winnipeg has only defeated one Western team. Name that team. Boy, I would not know who that is. I'm, I'm going to guess just because of 
history that it might be Calgary, and it's truly a guess. Final answer. And there's the buzzer. All right. The answer is Edmonton. And that is in 1990. That's Tommy Burgess and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Wow. Winning that game 50 to 10 over the Eskimos. You know, I guess that was in my uh, wheelhouse. I should have known that. (laughs) That's okay. All right. You're one in three overall. Not that I'm keeping score. (laughs) Humiliation is the key here. Yep. I'm not out to humiliate you, or am I? (laughs) All right, question two. Edmonton and Montreal are two franchises that have won Grey Cups in back-to-back years. Name two others. You said Edmonton and Montreal are two. I'm going to guess Hamilton Tiger Cats. And Toronto Organauts. Going with two Eastern teams on this one. And there's the buzzer. You got one of them right, the Argonauts. They've done it. 96-97 was the last time they went back-to-back. That was with Doug Flutie as their quarterback. Mm -hmm. Doug Flutie, yep. And the other teams that have done it, Ottawa in 68 and 69, Winnipeg, 58, 59, 61, 62. Wow, there you go. So you got one out of two. So I'll give you a half point for that. All right, so I've got one and a half out of, uh, not that you're keeping track, one and a half out of five now? <laughs> Looks that way. Please, no wagering on this. Last question, number three for this week. In the 1960s, Montreal appeared in how many Grey Cups? Appeared, not one. How many Grey Cups in the 1960s? A, 2, B, 5, C, 0. You know, this is prior to the time I was born, Don, so this is going to be absolutely a guess. So go through the choices again. We're 2, 5, and 0. First choice, the first choice A was yep. 2. Second choice B was 5. Third choice C was 0. I'm going to go 2. Did I get that in before the time? Just. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And the correct answer is C, zero. Hmm. Should have gone on the extremes, either five or zero, I guess. The curious thing about the Montreal Alouettes was in the 50s, they went three times in a row against the Eskimos, and they would not reappear until the 70s. And then I think in the 70s, they were there five times. They were pretty dominant. They were pretty dominant in the 70s. I remember that. They were indeed, with uh, and the quarterback, of course, of note that really got them going was Sonny Wade, mm-hmm. who yeah. I think was one of the most clutch quarterbacks the league has ever seen. Yeah, did a good job of getting them there, like you said, year after year. Now, they didn't win that many. How many did they win? Do you know offhand? In the 70s? Uh, yeah. They won in 70, they won in 74, and they won in 77. So they got three. Which is not bad, three in 10 years. That's that's uh, pretty darn good. I'd be happy with that. Oh, who wouldn't? <laughs> I think, <laughs> Do recall. <laughs> well, you're looking at Calgary in the in the 2010s. You know how many Grey mm-hmm. Cups were they at, and how many did they come away with? And then you look at Montreal in the 2000s. How many were they at, and how many did they come away with? 
So yep. it really does matter. Getting there is fantastic, but you better pull one back <laughs> into the train when you go home. You bet. Well, I, I'm I'm getting there on these uh, on these questions, Don. But I, I I'm not sure if I can get back on the train or not at one and a half out of six. There's always a way. We just have to find it. And yep. by we, I mean you. Yeah. Thanks. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Third down gamble. Greg Dick, the chief financial officer and head of football operations for the Canadian Football League, appeared on episode 211 of The Waggle. And by the way, if you really want to get some great football discussion, check out The Waggle. It is fantastic. Donovan and Davis do a wonderful job, and I'm I'm a steady listener, and I'm just glad that we can give them a shout-out today. Absolutely. Lots was discussed. The first and foremost thing I think that Davis brought to his attention and I want to get into right away is this whole notion of why is it so important for the CFL to play mm-hmm. this season. And Greg really elocuted, I think, and sort of pulled back the veil of what the financial reasons are for trying to get this season in. And essentially what he said was, if you think about a Canadian Football League team operations, it starts when the Grey Cup ends last year, technically, if you want to put it in a calendar year, it's January 1st, you're paying for coaches, for administration, for rent. You've got some player bonuses, some player contracts come up that are have to be paid in, these, in this time period. So essentially from January until now, the league has been paying a lot of expenses. And if there is no 2020 season, there's no way to really recoup those. And Dick really said that it's exacerbated in the community-owned teams, the three that there are, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, because there may not be another source of revenue for them. And he said, quite correctly, no owner wants to lose money, but at least they may have more wherewithal to withstand the hit. That's true. And the number one, um, I mean, he was very clear. Number one is the, the personnel at all the levels, whether it's the players, whether it's the organization, whether it's uh, the CFL itself. That's that's where the cost is. And, and they're right. I mean, the football league doesn't shutter itself and do nothing for six months. It's going on. So the expenses have been incurred and that's what they're going to need to be able to help push them through. So the other thing that I, I thought was quite interesting when he talked about it is the idea of the hub cities and I mean they talked briefly about the win and host but more so is it going to be viable without having fans in the stadium your thoughts on that Don well he he touched on it the commissioner touched on it as well in the uh, Rod Peterson shows interview that he did and they're the interesting thing about all of this and the commissioner really brought this to the fore is that 
you've got to be careful with how many scenarios you try to vet because eventually you're going to be wasting energy chasing a whole bunch of ideas that really will never lead you anywhere. True. And I think ultimately when you look at the hub city approach, it may be the most viable of the least viable options, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. The, the best of the worst. So if they can go hub city, then the mechanics really come down to scheduling, getting everybody together. How do you keep everybody apart? <laughs> well, and that's the, the safety issue, right? When you've got everyone practicing in the same facility doing that, how do you ensure the testing? What does it cost to test every team, every player, and the people involved on the field and on a regular basis? There's a lot of unknowns. And uh, so they've got a lot of research to do as they take a look at that. And what kind of sanctions do you have for players? You go off the, the practice field or the coaches, you come off the practice field. Mm -hmm. Then what? Where do you go? Like, are you allowed to mill about somewhere in the city? Like, there's all of these considerations and the CFLPA has to be on board with this because yep. you, you're basically clamping down on a lot of freedoms that we just take for granted in society. Yeah. And you may have to say to players, hey, you've really got to curtail these. And maybe players just say, well, it's just not worth it to me. Or maybe they say, yeah, well, I want to get paid. So yeah, for sure I'm doing this. Absolutely. And, and I think that the thing about that is you bring all the people involved as players in the organization into one facility, one, one city, or even a couple, if you're going to break it out in that way, it would be... I think hard to ensure that nobody's breaking the rules, right? And what does happen in the event that someone contracts COVID and brings it into the facility? You know, they've got to make sure they're doing absolutely everything they can possible to ensure the safety of the people involved because the league is bringing them there and the league is ultimately responsible for their safety. Excellent points. The bottom line ultimately is, yeah, personal safety. You've got to have a buy-in from all constituents to make it happen, make it work well. The hub city approach probably mitigates a lot of the issues that if you tried to play in every center, travel being the biggest of the bunch because you only have to bring them into one site. Now, of course, the, the win and host thing kind of goes out the window a little bit too if unless you're the host city and you happen to win your division and make it to the Grey Cup. They're still, I think, pretty much wedded to the idea that the East will play the East, the West will play the West. Mm -hmm. you know, minimally, Dick said that it would probably take about a half a year to really make a schedule viable. In other words, no less than eight games. Right, and they're moving to uh, December, taking a look at the playoffs being the Great Cup, taking early to mid-December. The latest that they are going to consider is probably the second week of December. He was very adamant that they wanted to stay away from Christmas. So there will be no Christmas Day Grey Cup game. Yep. I think everything's about your end date and then you wind the clock back to figure out where your start date is. And Dick referred to August as if things don't happen by the middle of August. There's just not going to be a season. Absolutely. And then, of course... You, you, okay, great. You, you get the season going. Fans, no fans. There's logistical nightmares when it comes to you and I are season ticket holders. If we're being told we can't go and yet somebody else can, how do you think you and I may feel? Mm -hmm. And so you, you've got to worry about those feelings. But the money, the corporate money may not be there for advertising. So TSN may have to 
pay an adjusted schedule, A, because it's a half season, and B, because their revenue streams have been hamstrung by the COVID situation. So you have to allow for that. And I think what ultimately the, the CFL, by playing, is not only giving us something to watch and something to enjoy. I mean, take our minds off of everything else that's been going on around us. And I felt that watching a NASCAR race the other day for a couple hours. Granted, there were no people in the stands, but in a NASCAR race, do you really notice them? No. But, <laughs> but not from TV. To watch a race, and it was a race. It was a live event, and it was fun. It is. The unknown, not knowing how it's going to end because it's not a replay, and you can't go back and check the internet to see what happened. And uh, that's what sports is all about. So the opportunity to have the CFO move ahead and play games, whether it's with fans or not, I think will... For those viewers who are watching it, they'll be able to feed their passion for seeing a live sport and not knowing what's happening and, and the drama that's involved. I think that's that's what we miss right now when we're not able to see our sports, whether it's the CFL or otherwise, going on. And the other thing, of course, is that if you get a season started, you do have some modicum of revenue streams to offset the losses. Yep. Teams are going to take a huge hit this year. We've, we've discussed that the riders' skate receipts... Yep are potentially $17 million. That's a huge chunk of cash that that team alone won't get. Well, then let's extrapolate that to eight other teams, and you're looking at $150 million of revenue that just isn't going to be there. So you can understand why that number has come out in terms of dealing with the federal government. It isn't a number that is unreasonable, and we have seen other companies get support the CFL is in that mix. They're not alone, but hopefully that somewhere, some way, somehow, there could be an allowance for this. And this is what Dick was really talking about, was that they're modeling all of these different scenarios, trying to work their way through so that at the end of the day, they can manage this hit. They don't want to go in and have a, have a season that's going to put them further financially behind uh, than, than where they're starting at. So, I mean, you don't want to go further in debt because you're hosting the season. So even that comes in play, right? So if people aren't coming the same way or you're not getting the same revenue stream or, and those things can impact, a lot of scenarios need to be played out. And the hope is that, you know, after they've done the research that yes, the league is viable and a lot of things have to also fall in place from a government level as well. Do governments want to uh, direct some of the resources they have towards the CFL or not? Um, you know people are going to be upset regardless of which route they take, whether they give the CFL or, or um, a loan or they don't. People are going to be upset. So the government has to hold that one. Well, I kind of echo Rod Peterson's sentiment that sport is a priority. It doesn't have to be the only priority, but it is a priority. And to come back to a world where sport isn't being played, I think would impact not only sociologically, but also economically. There is a lot of revenue that is generated by a game day. I I hear what he's saying about sports, but I, I would argue more so it's the entertainment, right? Like there is not any real live entertainment. We're not getting the new movies. We're not getting any live types of situations, whether it's drama, theater, sports, all of the entertainment is gone right now in this situation. And I think people are hungry for some form of entertainment, whether that is the people who like the arts in the arts or whether it's 
us who want sports. That's what the government has to put forward. It's that culture and recreation piece that is part of the government's responsibility. And I think the CFL falls into it. I do believe that the league is now getting closer and closer to that critical mass issue of we have to take a decision. The fact that they've opened up facilities now for players locally to go practice uh, or at least train, I Mm -hmm. should say, that it does open the door that they're still on the positive side of things, that they're being optimistic. But we just don't know. There is so much in the world that's going to impact what happens in Canada. And if we don't have certainties, it really makes it tough. And if you can't have a season, I don't know that you'd lose more by having a season. I think you'd lose less because at least there is some revenue coming back. The, pay, the players are probably going to be paid regardless in, in whether it's a prorated amount or something. So then your next expense is just the, you know, the travel to get them together and then the facilities. If, if you can figure out a way to make that work and, and maybe get a modicum of people into the stands to watch the games, then you're actually mitigating the loss. Ultimately, how much? I'd, I think it wouldn't be very much, but at least it'd be less than if they did nothing. Well, I do hope that's the scenario that plays out when they run, they run all different scenarios. And uh, you, you do want to see the league at least, like you said, recuperate some of the financial loss that they're they're bound to take on if allowing them to play a shortened prorated season is, is the opportunity that's going to allow them to make money, then hopefully that's the decision that's made. But do have to take a look at it all and determine is the bottom line amount of income you're going to get and the safety risks that are for players and everyone involved in an organization, is it worth the risk? So it's going to be interesting as they go forward and you can trust that they're going to be in close contact with government and health to see how that works in the CFL. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Worth watching.